Welcome to Practical Christian Living. At the moment you're born again, all of your sin is taken away. And positionally, you are righteous before God. That means that when God looks on you, He sees the righteousness of Christ, according to Ephesians. Now that's amazing. It's not even just seeing you with your righteousness removed, but He sees the righteousness of Christ on you. There is nothing about us, from us, or of us that makes us righteous. Our righteousness comes completely and totally from the cross and the blood that Jesus shed for you and me. Our sin nature leaves us desperate daily for that righteousness. But one day, we will be given a crown of righteousness and our righteousness will become permanent. Here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary Tucson, with more from our teaching out of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Romans 9 is in the context of the nation of Israel being removed from God for a time, the church being grafted in, and then Israel being regrafted in. And then you go to chapter 10, and it says, Believe, and you will be saved. And if anyone believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth, then they shall be saved. Romans 10 goes on to say, How are they going to believe unless they hear? And how are they going to hear unless there's a preacher? The Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose life and live. The Bible says in two different places, God desires all men to be saved and all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then they go, well, that all there doesn't mean all. <laughs> really? It's like President Clinton. All depends on what your definition of is is. You start trying to put those kinds of twists on things. Well, all doesn't mean all men. All means all of the elect. You've got certain problems. And so they'll say of Calvary, well, you know, Calvary just gives altar calls to people. Like it's a bad thing. Isn't that crazy? I understand their theology and they're scared to death that the gospel might be preached to someone who's not, not saved. What kind of theology is that, by the way, that says don't preach because that person might not be saved and you might be giving false hope. The guy's on his way to hell. You believe he's going to hell. Why can't you preach to him? Because you don't want to give him false hope? What kind of nonsense is that? And I'm not talking about certain people in that movement who teach it. I'm talking about the leaders of the movement. I'm talking about R.C. Sprawl. I'm talking about uh, Piper. I'm talking about some other guys that are in the very tops of this movement who will say, don't preach to everyone. Give when you go Sunday morning, when you give a message, don't give an altar call. And an altar call to them is a bad thing. Listen. Give people a chance to get saved. Preach the gospel. Do the work of an evangelist. Do you guys know people around you who aren't saved? Do you work with people who aren't saved? Do you live with people who aren't saved? Do, do, you, do you have family and friends that aren't saved? Then pray for them. Lay a foundation of prayer. Look for opportunities to share with them. Pray that God would open up those doors and do the work of an evangelist. And when someone comes along and says, well, my theology doesn't agree with that, I say, you know what? I don't care about your theology. Theology is a system of, of it's, it's putting doctrines into certain systems. That's theology. So that you, you, there's certain theologies and different ideas of different systems of placing things. I don't care about theology. I care about the, what the Word of God says. And if your theology 
is different than what the Bible says, it's time to change your theology. If you have to deal with all these verses, if you have to go, well, I know it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe. I know it says whosoever would believe, but that whosoever doesn't mean whosoever. When you got to start saying those kind of things to how many verses? I know it says that Jesus died once for all, but that all doesn't mean all. I mean, we have to do that over and over and over and over again to how many verses throughout the Bible. And then they'll kind of look down their nose at you and they'll say, well, that's because you don't have an understanding of what the Bible really means. I was debating one time with a guy on, on Calvinism, this whole idea, this, these, these two points. Here's what he said to me. By the way, I'd been a pastor for about 10 years. I taught through the book of Ephesians twice already. Here's what he said to me. You need to read the book of Ephesians. Really? I, that's what I did to him. I just stopped. I said, really? You think that if I go read the book of Ephesians now that I'm going to suddenly become a Calvinist? That I'm going to suddenly believe that there are people who can't be saved because I, I read the book of Ephesians? Because Ephesians talks about predestination because it tells us that God predestines people. It says, whom God foreknew those he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Some, some in Reformed theology believe in, in their predestination so much that they will deny the foreknowledge of God. They'll say God doesn't know everything in the future because they want to take away the idea that God foreknows anything. All of a sudden, their God becomes smaller. They say, you don't have an understanding of grace. Do you know what their idea of grace is? Here's their idea of grace. Some people can't get saved. To me, that's not a definition of grace. Grace is that God extends unmerited favor to anyone who would receive it. If your definition of grace is some people can't be saved, maybe it's time to go back to the word of God and redefine those definitions and begin to do the work of an evangelist. And what is crazy to me is the same people that criticize us for doing altar calls, giving people an opportunity to get saved, are out in the mission field doing a ton of mission work. What's the difference between preaching the gospel here in America and preaching the gospel in New Guinea? You're preaching the gospel and you're giving people a chance to get saved. Do the work of an evangelist. He goes on to say now in verse six, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. This is a very Jewish concept, a very Jewish idea. Uh, the offering, a drink offering being poured out to God. Paul says, my life is, is a drink offering being poured out and the time of my departure is at hand. Somehow God had let him know. Your, your time is almost done here. Paul, within a few days, some believe, had taken outside of Rome and beheaded after writing this book. This is the last book he would write. And so Paul says in verse seven, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. All the way to the end, he kept it. Oh, that we would be able to say that. When it comes time for us to be at the end, I fought the good fight. I finished the race God gave me and I've kept the faith. He says, finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give to me on that day and not to me alone, but to all of them who have loved his appearing. The crown of righteousness. At the moment you're born again, all of your sin is taken away. And positionally, you are righteous before God. That means that when God looks on you, he sees the righteousness of Christ, according to Ephesians. Now, that's amazing. It's not even just seeing you with your righteousness removed, but he sees the righteousness of Christ on you. That's why when you say, who am I 
God doesn't really love me. God doesn't want to work in my life. He's seeing the righteousness of Christ in you. And that's the same righteousness that he interacted in a relationship with Jesus. But positionally, we have this righteousness with Christ. But in reality, we have our sin nature. And we're struggling. But one day, we will be given a crown of righteousness. One day, that righteousness will become permanent. And I won't have a thought that I need to go, oh, sorry, God. That mechanism of repentance will no longer be necessary because I've been given that crown of righteousness. And everyone who loves is appearing. Everyone who's looking forward to Jesus coming back to this earth and establishing his kingdom, loving him, loving him and desiring to see him will have that crown of righteousness that is given to him. He then says in verse nine, as he begins to wrap up the letter now, and he begins to talk about several different people. He says, be diligent to come to me quickly for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Demas was part of his team. In another letter, Paul speaks of Demas and the work that he does. But now Demas has loved the things of the world and has departed for Thessalonica. It's possible to walk with Christ and love him and then to begin to love the things of the world and to find yourself apart from God. Maybe some of you here tonight have walked away from God and you're now returning. Or maybe you just find yourself in church, you're not even sure how it happened. And all of a sudden we're talking about Demas and it's like your heart starts to go thump, 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 because God is reaching out to you. I met the Lord when I was 14. I, I walked with him until I was 18 and then I walked away for a year. A couple of things happened and there were a couple of things I needed to learn, but I walked away from him. The pastor at the church that I was attending had an affair with his secretary. And when I called up a friend of mine who was my mentor, he was having an affair. His wife said, haven't you heard? Bill's having an affair. And I was just devastated. Kind of, I had other problems and I'm grand. I can't blame everything on, you know, on other people. But in the midst of that, I said, if this is what Christianity is all about, then I don't want to have anything to do with it. And I walked away from the Lord for a year. When I came back, when I, I, I thought that, I thought God really didn't want me. I thought God was like, all right, you come on in. Okay. <laughs> Little did I know that God really did put a ring on my finger and a robe on my back. God brought me all the way back in. And if you're like Demas today and you've loved the things of this world and you've walked away from God, then you too can be like the prodigal son. It's been said that the only time that you ever see that God is ever depicted running in the Bible is when he's running out to meet the prodigal. Isn't that an awesome thought? He doesn't run to judgment. He doesn't run to, he doesn't rush or run to inflict judgment upon the world, but he runs to his prodigal. He runs to his son or his daughter who is lost and says, come back home. The Bible says of the, the father that he fell on his neck and he wept and he cried and he said, my son that is dead is now alive. And it's a picture of how God feels about you who need to come back to him tonight. He goes on to say here, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Christianness, and that's not how his name is pronounced, for Galatia, Titus for Demalcia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. Mark. This is the Mark that wrote the book of Mark. Uh, he was a kid, teenager, 12 or so, during the time of Jesus, it's believed that Mark was the one in the garden that the Roman soldiers grabbed 
and his, they wiggled out of his robe and he ran out of the garden. Mark was also the one that went on the first missionary journey with Paul. You remember that Paul and Barnabas and John Mark left to go on the first missionary journey. But after they'd only gone a little ways, things got tough. And Barnabas and Paul went on and Mark went back home. Mark's mom was a uh, prominent woman in the early church and he went home to mommy. On their next missionary journey, they're getting ready to, move, to go and Barnabas, who's an encourager, his name means son of encourager, encouragement, Barnabas says, let's bring Mark. Paul, whose name doesn't mean son of encouragement, says, not on your life. The guy left in the middle of it. He's unfaithful. I'm not going to have him along. And Barnabas says, no, give him another chance. And Paul says, no way I'm going to do that. The Bible says that their dispute became so sharp that they parted company and went different directions. Paul took Silas, and from then on, it's no longer Paul and Barnabas, it's Paul and Silas for, for the rest of their, the, the other two missionary journeys. And Barnabas takes Mark and goes to an island. I don't remember exactly which island they went to, but they go to an island to minister the gospel on an island. Now, someone tried to put a good spin on that. When we look at it, it sure looks like Paul is the one who's not really being graceful, doesn't it? Looks like Barnabas is. And some try to put a good spin on it and say, well, you got two missionary teams instead of one. So that's what God was doing. I, I don't know. But what I do love is now, with that in mind, for him to say this, only Luke is with me, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is use, useful to me in ministry. He says, I want someone here who can help me minister. There's people lost who need to get saved, and I want you to get Mark and bring them. Boy, what, what does that tell you when someone's been unfaithful in the ministry? That God can restore them, can he? God can bring you to a place where you're even useful. And isn't it neat that there was such a division between Barnabas and Paul, and yet he loves Mark to this point, that he wants Mark to come to him? He, he goes on to say, uh, Tychicus, and I do believe that's how you pronounce that, by the way, I have sent to Ephesus, bring the cloak that I left with uh, Carpus at Troas when you come. It's getting to be winter. He would like his coat. He's in a dungeon. It's cold. And the books, and especially the parchments, he wants his books and scriptures. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. Uh, as Paul went and preached the gospel in a world of paganism and idolatry, some of the people that opposed him were coppersmiths, were metalsmiths, because they were making idols. And when Paul would come into a place, people would stop buying idols. And so they opposed them. This Alexander had opposed them, and he says, you also must be uh, beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but they all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Isn't that kind of a sad statement? As Paul stands before Nero for the first time, there's no one there to stand with Paul. Everyone, he says, forsook me. As Paul got caught and things are getting more and more intense, those... You know, um, persecution either makes you serious about following God or serious about getting away from God. That's what's happened here. He says, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Men may let you down, but God will never let you down. He says, so that the message might be preached full throughout me, that the, all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now, there are some references that people use in Paul in Ephesus and, and a couple other places. It may very well be that he's not talking about any of those. Maybe Paul was literally going to be fed to the lions. 
Remember, this is the time of gladiators. It is the time of enemies of Rome being thrown into the arena in Rome and wild animals tearing them apart. It's not only happening in, uh, in amphitheaters in Rome, it's happening in every Roman city. You can go into any Roman city and you will find an amphitheater there. There are theaters and there are amphitheaters. A theater was a half circle, which they did all kinds of different things in, but an amphitheater was a round one and they were suited for animals and for torture. So Paul may very well have been delivered to, uh, going to be delivered to a lion and, uh, and who knows, one day maybe we'll find out the story. Maybe literally God saved him from the mouth of the lion. Verse 18, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and, uh, uh, and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. You remember that early on Priscilla and Aquila were preaching in Corinth and uh, Apollos was there and Paul came along and encouraged them in what was right. They were teaching kind of half the truth and Paul came along and helped them to understand the full truth of the gospel. He says, Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimius I have left in Malta sick which is interesting again. Paul did miracles. Paul healed people, prayed for people and healed them. And yet he leaves Trophimus sick in Malta. So the gifts of healings didn't happen all the time. It wasn't like he had that choice. Like people today that claim that I have the gift of healing, I can lay my hands on anybody and uh, they'll recover. And so they have their, their tent revivals or they go into churches and have revivals and they call the sick out to come and pray for them. To those guys that would say that you have a gift of healing and you can pray for anybody and they can be healed, I would say, why are you not in the hospitals right now? Why don't you just go to the hospitals right now and begin to pray for people? And they'll say, well, they don't have enough faith to be healed. Well, I'll tell you what, if you've got enough faith to heal people, why don't you spot them some? <laughs> because Jesus told the guys that brought, remember when he brought the guy who was a paralytic to him? He said, the faith of your friends has made you whole. No, these guys are crooks. That's what they are. They're crooks. God heals. God heals when we pray. We are to anoint people, lay hands on them and pray for them. But some people God heals and some people God doesn't. And here is Trophimus in Miletus sick. And then verse 21, do your utmost to come to me before winter. <laughs> Winter's on its way. He wants his coat. He says, uh, Eubulus, and I'm not sure I pronounced his name right, greets you as well as Pundus, Leonis and Claudia and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Now, after Paul talks about standing alone, he goes on to talk about those Christians who he is to greet and those Christians that are with him and those who are sending their greetings as well. It's very obvious that there, it's obvious as you read the end of this letter that there was a sense of community. And I believe it's very important for us as Christians to have a sense of community. Those that God has put in our lives who love the Lord that we love, that we can demonstrate the love of Christ for. It's a prayer that I pray on a regular basis for us, that God would knit our hearts together, that God would cause the love that we have for one another to grow, that we would get out of our comfort zone and get to know people, that we would reach out for those who are kind of lonely and not, don't really reach out. See, there's some people, you guys can get to know anybody. You're that outgoing kind of person. The more people there are in a room, the more energized you get. And you could get to know them all. You're the, hey, how are you? You're just, you know, you get to know everybody. 
And then there's the rest of us and we kind of back off a little bit and are quiet and we feel out of place when other people. When you see that, reach out to that person. Reach out to encourage them. Reach out to get to know them. Pray for them. May God build a sense of community that at the end of your life, you'll be able to go over a list of those that you know that you want to be able to pray for and send greetings from in that relationship with Christ. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you again for all that you are continuing to show us. We thank you that we don't have to preach opinions or philosophies or myths, but that we teach the word of God. Lord, thank you that we get this direction from you. No matter what the world thinks, no matter what the world wants, they may heap up for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears, but we want to continue to preach your word. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a couple of minutes and a couple of quick things. Number one, if you're here today and you used to be close to Jesus, you used to walk with him, you loved him, but you walked away. For whatever reason, God has you here tonight when we read about Demas who loves the world and walks away. God wants you back. He's running out to meet you, to embrace you, to bring you back in. God's got a plan for you. And God will accept you and forgive your sins. Our God is the God of fresh starts. He's ready to give you that fresh start now. Just wherever you are right now, if you know you walked away from him and you need to come back, then just right now pray, Lord, forgive me. Come back into my life. I'm ready to live for you. And if you're here tonight and you've never committed your life to Christ, you've never come to that place where you said, I'm done living for myself and I'm ready to live for him. The Bible says as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God, even to those who believe in his name. That means you receive him into your life. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. It's him who's initiating it. You might today say, God, Jesus doesn't want me. Uh, I, I'm nobody or I, he doesn't want me for whatever reason. But it's him who's knocking at the door of your heart. And he's saying, open up and let me come in with all of my forgiveness and all of my love. And I'll restore you into a relationship with the living God. So if you're here today and you want to invite Christ into your life and begin to live for him, I'm going to ask you to do something simple. Just lift up your hand. Right where you are now, lift it up now and lift it up high. I want to see it and I want to acknowledge it. God bless you, ma'am. Off to my left by the aisle and ma'am, right in the middle there. God bless you. That's great. Ma'am, all the way in the back window. That's awesome. God bless you, ma'am. And God bless you. That's awesome. And God bless you right here in the front. That's great. God bless you guys right here. God bless you, sir. That's awesome. Anyone else? God bless you, sir. That's great. All right. You can put your hands down. And I would like everyone, including those who raised their hands, to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father I, confess that I, have I confess that I have sinned. And I know my sin has separated me from you. I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus upon the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn from my sin that I can live for you and receive the crown of righteousness in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. Welcome to the family of God. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.